This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And as you know, I'm here every week. We talk about the mental side of sports on this show. I've been on the radio in Kansas City for 28 years, the last 18 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City from our flagship station. Our show's now on around the country, and we're up to 12 cities now and growing, and I'm really excited about that because, you know, this this show is about you. It's about coaches. It's about administrators. It's about parents. It's about officials. It's But it's about sports, and it's about the mental side of sports. And we delve into all kinds of issues on this show pertaining to mindsets and confidence and attitude, but most importantly about relationships. You know, one of the things that I've known in my 38 years of work as a sports psychologist is that the topic of sportsmanship is something that's become more and more important to me and something I've become more of an advocate for, I think, more than ever now because of all the craziness you keep hearing about in youth sports. It's not everywhere, but they're isolated incidents that happen all the time. And for years, I wanted to have an administrator on this show, somebody who works with a sports organization who can talk to us about what's going on, what's changed, and how it's, how it's good or bad. And today we're privileged to have Jeff Chalk with us. And he is the executive director of 3-2 and two Baseball of Johnson County in Kansas City and has been doing it for over 30 years. And I've known of Jeff for years, never met him before. He was there when my oldest son played back, my gosh, how many years, 17, 18 years ago. So he's been around a long time like I have. And he's seen the changes that have gone on in sports. So, Jeff, thanks for coming in this morning. I appreciate it. Glad to be here, Dr. Jacobs. You know, I've wanted to talk with someone who runs a sports organization for a long time to find out exactly what it is you do and how you deal with all these parents and coaches and athletes. And you run a large organization. How many teams do you have playing in in 3-2? and We've got about 500 spring and summer uh, league teams. And count on top of that, about 2,500 teams participating in tournaments on weekends throughout the year. And then add another couple of hundred teams uh, in fall ball as we uh, go through August through, Octo- August through October. That is enormous. Yeah. How do you deal with all that? It, there's a lot. Fortunately, we've got a lot of great people that uh, help us uh, take care of all the tasks and take care of all the people and make sure things are where they're supposed to be. It is really a, uh, it's a labor of love for a lot of us. Uh, a lot of us have been out there for a good long time and have grew up through the program, and so it's uh, near and dear to our heart. You know, sportsmanship to me, if for those people who listen to the show, they, they know it's close to my heart. It's something I talk about all the time. A couple of weeks ago, I had a soccer coach on from New York who, in the handshake line after the game, a young man punched a kid on his team at a 13-year-old uh, game. A kid in the other line punched the kid on his team. He then grabbed that kid, and then he got attacked by parents. It got broken up by the police. That was the same weekend the incident happened out in Denver, Colorado, at the seven-year-old baseball game that I know you know about. 
What these things don't happen everywhere. They don't happen all the time, but they do happen. I know you've had a couple situations that have happened at at, at your uh, area in, in in your organization at the stadiums out there. Why is this going on? Why do these things happen? I think that uh, I think that just the overall over the years, the the competitive nature of of society has really ramped up over the last thirty years, easily over the last thirty years. And I would say probably over the last 10 to 15 years, it's really kind of gotten there. Uh, I just think there's a higher uh, – the intensity level is just so high to the point where people are putting more and more importance and more emphasis on on winning um, uh, than really what needs to be for youth sports. Um, again, with the – we play more than 10,000 games a year at 3-2. and two. Uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of people. More than – you know, more than 500 to 600,000 people are coming through our gates every year, and there is a very small uh, percentage of folks that are the ones that are the problem causers or very few incidents that, that, uh, that we really even need to address. So while, I, while we've seen the video of the Denver situation, we, we, we just heard this story about the, um, you know, the, the kid getting punched in the, in the handshake line. Uh, there are so few of those kinds of incidents, but those do get a, a good deal of uh, uh, attention, as well they should, so that we are we can all be more aware of how we should be acting uh, when we're going out to enjoy our kids' games. Tell us about your role as the executive director of a large organization like this with thousands of games and kids and parents and umpires, which we'll get into umpires here in a mm-hmm. little bit. Tell us about your role there. Well, my role is simply for general oversight of the of the organization and, and general planning for the for the league and financial. Uh, we've got some great folks that uh, uh, that lead our our leagues and do the scheduling and and handle the umpires and whatnot. So it's just general direction and working with our board to set policy and direction for the organization. You've got teams that come in for tournaments from all over the place. You have teams that play there on a regular basis. How do you go about administering? situations that get out of control what's the policy what do you do i mean do you have a specific policy in place with umpires and officials i mean how does that work well we've got uh you know when things get out you don't need a policy for when there's nothing going on uh but you just need to act and be be very aware of the circumstances that are going on in the field we've got uh every night we've got umpire supervisors and field managers that are watching over all the games um, and when we see things start to maybe ramp up on a given field, we start to go focus a little more attention there. Uh, whenever there is uh, uh, circumstances, we can our umpires or somebody on the opposing team, we can say, hey, go get help in the office, and we'll come down and help uh, 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 administer any uh, uh, problems or go work through any rule situations or deal with any kind of sportsmanship issues. And so if we see things starting to flare up a little bit, we can go on and say, hey, guys, we, we don't need to go there. We can... We got this covered. It's going to be all right. And give us, if you can, give us an example yeah. of that, of, of where a situation starts, as you say, quote, unquote, flare up. Well, I, I remember yesterday uh, we were, uh, uh, or this past weekend, we were working on the state tournament. And uh, there were some, this was a third grade game where some, uh, where some plays, I mean, everybody's excited. It's the state tournament. It's getting hot. And uh, the... Uh, uh, umpires were making some calls that, that, that the fans didn't appreciate. So the and it's right outside the field manager's office at the East Complex. So we can obviously see what's going on here. So as as things were developing, the 
the umpire supervisor was walking that direction towards the field and was addressing some 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 dads on both sides that were getting a little hot and, and starting to yell a little bit. Hey, we've got this. I'm going to talk with our umpire, see what the call was, see what they've got. Do they call time and come out there? What do they do? Yeah, they'll call time whenever there's a when there's a play on the field that we need to uh, to, to clarify or there's some questions. We'll call time. The umpire supervisor will come up and. Uh, talk specifically with the two umpires to figure out what they've got, try to understand what they saw, and then we can bring in the both of the coaches at that time and say, hey, this is what our guy saw, this is what our call is, and then we're going to go play ball from there. And so a lot of times there's some confusion as to what the application of the rule, the understanding of the rule, and then when we get everybody settled down, you know, it goes a lot better. And that worked out okay? It worked out fine. Because the, the people start to realize... They were getting a little bit out of control, and they've got to calm themselves And down. there was somebody there quickly to address the situation, yes. So you guys are on top of that. How many fields do you have? I know you have two complexes. How many fields do you have? Yeah, we've got nine fields at our east complex and then 18 fields at our west complex. So we've got guys in golf carts. We've got guys positioned in different places of the complex so we can try to get um, to any given field uh, quickly. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And today I'm lucky to have Jeff Chalk with me today in studio. He is the executive director of the 3 and 2 Baseball Organization of Johnson County. He's in charge of the whole organization, what goes on. We're talking about mindsets and attitudes, sportsmanship. And we're going to come back in our next segment. We're going to talk about umpires. And we're going to talk about training umpires. And, and one of the issues that goes on today is a lot of kids don't want to umpire anymore because of the abuse they've gotten. So we're going to talk with him about that. When we come back from our break. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 minutes to success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 minutes to success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. The world of youth sports has grown tremendously in the last few years, and with that growth comes questions. What's the right age to let my child start playing? When should winning and losing become important? And how can the youth sports experience be fun? These questions and many more are addressed head-on in sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs' book, Just Let Him Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. Written with Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Montgomery and Hall of Fame swimming coach Peter Malone, Just Let Him Play tackles the issues that make youth sports increasingly difficult for parents, coaches, officials, and especially kids. Just Let Him Play explains the importance of winning and losing, success and failure, and why it's okay when not every athlete gets a trophy. For more information and to get your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. 
One more time, for your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click Products. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Today I'm privileged to have in studio with me Jeff Chalk. He's the executive director of the 3-2 and baseball organization in Johnson County, Kansas. They have... Thousands of kids play baseball throughout the season, spring, summer, and fall at their organization. They have tournaments that go on. They have leagues that go on. And I've always wanted to have an administrator in here to talk with him or her about how they do what they do. So I want to get into umpires, Jeff, okay? Every game has to have an umpire. And actually, do they just have one or two? How no, many we got do you? two. Okay, two so you've got two uh-huh. umpires. What's the minimum age that an umpire needs to be for your organization. At, at Johnson County 3 and 2, we, we want to start those kids uh, no younger than current 8th graders or 14 years old. There's a, uh, you know, there might be a, uh, some kids that have excelled in their growth and they're larger and they may be more mature, but we generally like to hit with the 14-year-old kids that are in 8th grade or moving into high school. Okay. How do we train an umpire to officiate a youth sports baseball game? Well, we've got uh, – this is a, a topic that I'm pretty excited about because we've got some training that goes on. that We do three training sessions a year for our, for our guys and, uh, to bring in new umpires. And uh, we do one in uh, you know, late winter. We'll do one in May uh, when the high school sports season is down. And now kids in high school figure out, hey, I've got to figure out something i got to do this summer. And umpiring is a great 
uh, opportunity for those kids to get involved in the sport and, some, and learn some skills. And make a little extra money. And make a little extra money. And then we'll do it again in August, right before school gets going again as we get into the fall season. Summer's over. Guys, have, their seasons are over perhaps, and now they want to stay involved in the game. We'll go through three training sessions a year. Well, it, let me interject. Yeah. Are, is yeah. it just boys? Do you have any girls on? Oh, no, we've had we've had several uh, uh, young ladies uh, be a part of that and have current female umpires at 3-2. and two. Great. Absolutely. Great. Okay, yeah. good. So anyway, we have uh, in our training sessions, uh, so in, in, in February and May of this year, we had more than 70, um, 70 people attend uh, those training sessions each. So we've we brought in about 100. So far this year, we've had, had over 140 people attend that training. It's a three-day classroom training, three evenings of classroom training. And then our fourth day, we go out on the field and work on positioning, making calls, the physical part of moving around on the field and being aware of where the play is going to take you and where the next play could be and working in tandem with your partner to make sure you've got the field movements uh, and um, where, where you need to be. Do any kids flunk out? Uh, I wouldn't say any kids flunk out. I would say kids that once they figure out what all is involved, they decide that this isn't what we want to do. Uh, we've kind of put a little bit of a challenge to them this year, too, that, that, uh, that, that we want them to work at least 25 games because the learning curve is very steep. I mean, you're coming from a player. Being a player and transitioning into an umpire isn't just a snap of your fingers. There's a lot to learn there. And we don't want the kids to quit on themselves before they give themselves a good chance to get in and learn and go through both good situations and maybe some rougher situations to come out on the other end to say, yeah, this is something I do want to continue to do, or, you know, maybe this I'm not cut out to do this. And they need to discover that just as much as we do. What's what's the typical determining factor when a young lady or, ma- or young man decides that this isn't for me? What do you think it typically is? I think that uh, I think without a doubt the the amount of feedback that they get from coaches and parents uh, at right from the get go is something that they can either handle or that they can't handle. Um, my show my show uh, a week ago was all about respect. And I talked about the importance of respect in sports and that we've lost a lot of respect in light of some situations that have been going on lately. I see with a lot of young kids who are, you know, they want to make some extra money. They love the game. They want to be mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. They've got to deal with overbearing, uh, very demonstrative parents and coaches. How do you train them? What do you say to them in the training to deal with that? Because let's say you've got a 14-year-old boy out there who maybe is five feet tall and weighs about 110 pounds, Mm -hmm. and you've got a 250-pound coach who is six foot four and loud and screaming and challenging him on every call, that can be pretty darn intimidating. That's very intimidating. And uh, we tell them that that it is going to happen, that you and your partner are a team, that you need to work together. Uh, But the best thing that you can do is to go out and you can sell yourself by the way that you look on how you dress. Do you look the part? Do you act confident? Uh, and are you loud and demonstrative with your calls? Because it's just like uh, uh, you know, if if you're if you're if you're a pr- uh, a prey, uh, and if you're if you're if you're if you show weakness and if you show timidity, uh, those those predators are going to come and get you a lot easier than if you were more confident. And so, uh, exuding confidence, being demonstrative with your calls, can really go a long way to that. 
So it's it's gonna the inevitable is gonna happen, and you're gonna get some chirping from this from the coaches and so, the parents and the parents. And so what we ask is that when uh, uh, a coach wants to come out and talk, that the head coach comes out and he can address me or the umpire in in a in a, in a polite manner, and we can talk about why we made the call that we made. And if there's any discussion about that, go on. But then, hey, we've had our say. You've had your say. I've had mine. Let's go back to the dugout and let's play ball. So what if you have a, a coach who is not happy with that and then continues to chirp and yell and then the parents jump in and then right. the whole thing starts coming on? And you've got a 14-year-old, 15-year-old out there who's starting to freak out because, my gosh, everybody's yelling at me. Well, by that time, we should have been paying attention to make sure that we get our umpire supervisor over we, there. We, excuse me, we meaning? We meaning our game management staff, our field managers are on their umpire supervisors that are on that are on staff at the time and monitoring all of the games. And by the time when things start to get ramping up, we need to be heading that direction to make sure we're going to interject and try to calm everybody down and get everybody back in place. Now you just had a situation again. that just happened uh, last week with an umpire, right, where, where he ended up having a panic attack. We did. If you could share we what did. happened there with us and what you guys did about it. Yeah, this young umpire, and I'm I'm so very proud of him because the way that he bounced right back from that those circumstances, um, he uh, uh, was getting chirped at uh, for two consecutive games by by a team, and and he had less than twenty. He's got less than twenty games under his belt at this point, so this is all kind of brand new to him. So he's learning how to handle some of that pressure. He's learning how to make his calls. Um, but anyway, the the uh, you know the, the constant chirping kind of got on him, and he decided to you know I'm I'm going to sit down right here and had a panic attack. Uh, we got our staff out there, and the opposing coach uh, that that wasn't doing all the chirping ushered him off the field into the field manager's office, helped him, helped helped him, him. out, got him into a cool place where we could talk and and kind of get him to to to, to relax a little bit. Uh, but it was interesting enough that the guys that were doing the chirping didn't check on his welfare. Didn't care. Of course didn't, not. Didn't call and apologize. Didn't come to his aid, nor did any of the parents. And so that was very disappointing. So what happened? What do you do about them? Well, after uh, doing a little bit more research on the team and hearing more from our staff about the uh, the pervasiveness of this team over uh, weekends and weekends of playing tournaments at three and two, we. Uh, I called him last week and said, "Hey, you know, I think we probably ought to take a hiatus on coming to play at three and two for a while. And we'll 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 see how things look in a year." How did they react to that? They understood and 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 said while well, they've enjoyed playing at three and two for this year, he understood the he understood the circumstances and and was uh, there an apology? Did he make an? Yeah, apology? he did make an apology. He said, "Yeah, I know, I probably got overbearing at that point in time," and and he apologized to me. But you know that we've got a sixteen year old kid that's that uh, you know quite frankly that sixteen year old kid when I called him up the day after was more interested in the welfare of the kids being able to play baseball than what was going to happen to Well, that's uh, the, the type coach. of kid you want to have. Absolutely. For you. Great I'm kid. sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today in studio is Jeff Chalk, the executive director of Johnson County 3-2 and two Baseball Organization. We're talking about his role as an administrator. We're talking about sportsmanship. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. 
Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 Minutes to Success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 Minutes to Success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign.
This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. We're having a great show this morning. Joining me is Jeff Chalk. He's the executive director of the 3-2 and two Baseball Organization in Johnson County. He's in charge of thousands of kids, thousands of games, and it's, it's pretty incredible what he does. And we've been talking about umpires, and he just shared the story of a young, young umpire who had a panic attack at a game last week because of the verbal abuse he was getting from the coach and some parents on the other team. And Jeff mentioned at the end of our last segment that this, this team has now been banned from playing here. Are they from this area or are they from somewhere else? They're or? from the greater Kansas City area, yes. Okay, uh-huh. so you said the coach the, the next day when you spoke to him was a little bit remorseful because he maybe realized, you know, after a little bit of time away, hey, maybe we overdid it. So let me, let me throw this out at you, Jeff, because it's something I've talked about a lot. I feel very strongly when you have a coach or a parent who goes over the, over the edge – and it sounds like this guy did. You've now banned them for a year from coming back. I believe very strongly that what you need to do with these people is say, you know what? You can come back in a year, but there's going to be one precondition. You now need to take an umpiring class, and you need to umpire for one season to see what it's like to be in the person's shoes you were abusing. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea, and that's actually happened. Uh, we've had guys in the past that, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's kind of fun to put the fox in charge of the hen house. And uh, we have had guys that uh, over over their careers were kind of rough coaches. And and uh, but when their kids got through eighth grade or they moved into high school, their kids no longer playing. They came back and were umpires and have said, wow, it's a whole lot different seeing the game from this side. And I wish I would have done things maybe a little bit differently when I was on the other side of the ball. Uh, than from being an umpire. So the the, the, the idea of, of putting in that kind of a requirement uh, I think would go a long way to curbing uh, the, uh, the the sportsmanship issues that we have, not to, not to mention the, the lack of umpires that we have that everybody around the country is is uh, struggling well, with. Well, that's, that's part of one of the things I wanted to get at. There's, there's a real, especially in youth soccer, which has exploded in the last 15 years in this country, there is a real need for more officials, referees, sideline refs, game refs. And I know a lot of kids have quit because of the abuse they get from parents. And, and, I, and I've seen it. I've talked about it on my show forever. I've seen too much of this stuff. So do you think that's something you can implement and just say from now on we're going to have a program where if you – you know you have to define exactly what the abuse sure, is. Sure, sure. And even for par- – and, and, and also for parents. See, I, I feel – See, I know there is a youth sport organization that says if you kick the, the parent out, you kick the kid out. I don't agree with that. I think you kick the parent out. I don't think the child should suffer because of the parent's stupidity. Well, we've we've had that circumstance happen in a high school level game. Quite frankly, up on uh, uh, at our West Complex, there's a uh, there's a there's a road that runs right by uh, two high school fields. There was uh, some rowdiness going on in a game, and we basically our guys stopped the game, got everybody their dugouts. Excuse the parents from the game. You're talking about the umpires. I'm talking about the umpires. Stopped the game, ran all the ran all the parents out of the field, off the complex. You guys can go watch the game from their side of the street. How did that? How did that actually happen? Because I I can see a lot of parents saying, "Screw you! You're not kicking me out of here." Then the game's over, and everybody everybody goes home. Game's over right now. We kind of call that the nuclear option. Uh, in, in so you have our implemented that absolutely. Before. Absolutely. And the kids finish the game. 
Uh, and they're probably and a lot happier than they're, they're a lot happier because they're not listening to all that stuff in the background. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. That's, that's the thing that I don't think a lot of parents realize is they're, you know, they've got to yell and scream and all this. The impact it has on their kids. First of all, it puts a lot of pressure on kids because they feel they have to please their parents. Second, they start to feel like they've got to please their coaches and their teammates. And they're also embarrassed because their dad is screaming and mm-hmm. everybody hears him and he's yelling at me. Right? Right. Yeah, another another little uh, thing to think about too is, and we've got some signs at the complex when you walk in that says, you know, there are multiple roles that you can play today. You can either be the umpire, you can be the coach, you can be the player, or you can be the spectator. You're going to pick one of those today, and you need to do that to the best of your ability. If you're going to be the spectator, you can't also be the coach. You can't also be the umpire. So be the spectator. Well, in, in our book, Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through You Sports, that I co-wrote with uh, Pete Malone, who's in the Hall of Fame of Swimming, and Jeff Montgomery, the Kansas City Royals all-time leading closer, we have something in there called the athletic box. And there are three arrows that all point to the athlete, from the, from the officials, from the parents, and from the coaches. Everything affects the kids. And one of the things we talk about is let the parents parent, let the mm-hmm. coaches coach, mm-hmm. let the officials officiate, let the kids play. Right. But unfortunately... We've got this whole issue, and, and I've talked about this on this show forever. We've got this sports specialization stuff now where kids are just playing one sport at age five and six, mm-hmm. which to me is absurd. Mm-hmm. You're having all these sports injuries now from recurring use. And kids, I, I know orthopedic surgeons are doing Tommy John surgery on kids who are 12 yeah. because they've been th- you know, just pitching, throwing curveballs, and they're throwing out their elbow. <clears throat> so, right, you've heard of this, I'm yes, sure. I, oh, yeah. So, so let me ask you. So we've got this issue – with with the umpires, you're training them. You're trying to get them to deal with this stuff. You've got out of control coaches and out of co- control parents once in a while, not often, but once in a while. You have a, a, a rule in terms of what what to be what's to be done. What's maybe one of the worst situations you in your thirty years plus of being out here that you've had to deal with? Oh gosh, I'd have to say, and I tell this story every year. We have we run a scores uh, classes for parents that to help be a scoring. Uh, for score for their teams. And the, we have a pitch count uh, in our league play that we have to, everybody's limited on the number of pitches that they can throw. We're in the playoffs. And because two uh, parents would not talk, the scorers from both teams would not talk, there was some kind of animosity between, each other. between the teams and, 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 and the two scorers. The, How old were these kids? These kids were, uh, uh, I'd say, fourth or fifth grade. And uh, it was in the season-ending playoffs. So 10 or 11 years of age. Yeah. And the uh, the uh, the team that was winning was had overpitched a kid, had overextended because had there been communication between the two scorers, we would have known how many pitches there were being thrown, and we would we would have avoided that overextension. So when we overextend a pitcher, that's an automatic forfeit, and all heck breaks loose. Uh, so the the losing team ends up winning and advancing to the playoffs. There we had to we had to uh, uh, dismiss one team at a time into the parking lot. And allow them to exit the facility uh, before we would let the next uh, the next team leave. I understood that as as people were leaving and heading down the street, that there was still stuff going on down the street as uh, as families were leaving. Yeah, so it's you know, but again, that 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 occurred that occurred uh, more than ten years ago. Uh, but it's a good story that I tell folks to come in about communication, perspective. And making sure that we're all in this together, because you and I are going to play against each other, and I want to build a great relationship with my opponents so that we're enjoying this youth sports experience from the time we're kindergarten all the way through high school. However long our kids enjoy playing, 
I want to enjoy that experience as well because it's not it's for the kids, but it's not just for the kids. We're spending a, a large portion of our lives in the gyms, on the fields, on the courts with everybody. And everybody's in this together, and there's no reason not to enjoy that experience regardless of what role you play. How important do you feel, and we'll, we'll talk about this more throughout the rest of the show, the whole importance of winning has become now. I feel we're seeing this competitive nature with kids going down to, like I said, first and second grade to the point that it's, it's out of control. I don't think winning, to me... Our book is called Just Let Them Play, Not Just Let Them Win, mm-hmm. for a reason. Right. Because I think play is, is, is gone from our society with kids. Everything's structured and organized. You don't see kids going by a – you know, you don't drive by a grade school – rarely. I don't say don't. Rarely do you drive by a grade school and see a bunch of kids out there playing without being at an organized practice, right? Right, right. Why do you think that is? I, don't, I just think society in general has, has gotten more competitive all, all across the board and that's uh, that's trickled down to uh, our youth sports uh, arena. There are still uh, there are still a lot of guys, a lot of families, a lot of kids that get the big picture that it, that, that youth sports is just a fun environment, a fun outlet uh, to enjoy uh, family time. Quite frankly, uh, but the uh, but the winning the winning is is a very important thing, and we're somehow. You know, one of the things that I say in our preseason managers meetings as well is that you know you're. Uh, uh, your youth league, your youth baseball league record is not going to end up on your tombstone. So let's not get too let's not get too into it too hard here. I'd like to quote you on that one. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Jeff Chalk, the executive director of Three and Two Baseball, Johnson County. We're having a great interview today. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. The world of youth sports has grown tremendously in the last few years, and with that growth comes questions. What's the right age to let my child start playing? When should winning and losing become important? And how can the youth sports experience be fun? These questions and many more are addressed head-on in sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs' book, Just Let Him Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. Written with Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Montgomery and Hall of Fame swimming coach Peter Malone, Just Let Him Play tackles the issues that make youth sports increasingly difficult for parents, coaches, officials, and especially kids. Just Let Him Play explains the importance of winning and losing, success and failure, and why it's okay when not every athlete gets a trophy. For more information and to get your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click Products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click Products. One more time, for your copy of Just Let Him Play, Go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Here's farmer and businessman James Wood. We farm about 3,500 acres. There's pipelines everywhere. The contractor working on my property did not have the lines located before he began work, and it resulted on a strike on a natural gas pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety campaign. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. 
Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Everyone, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm having a great interview today. Joining me in studio is Jeff Chalk. He's the executive director of the 3-2 and two baseball organization here in Johnson County, Kansas. He administrates uh, an incredibly large number of games, tournaments, kids, umpires, parents. He's in, he's in charge of all the whole deal. And I've always wanted to have somebody like him in studio with me talking. And this has been a really fabulous interview because, you know, if, you, if your kids play sports in some kind of a league, some kind of an organization that's got to be run by somebody, and that person's got to know what they're doing, which obviously you do because you've been doing it for 30-plus years, and you're going to deal with all kinds of weird people in this business. <laughs> you're smiling as I'm saying that. <laughs> there are a lot of great people and a lot of very bizarre people. Um, I want to get into the – one of my passions is sportsmanship and new sports and having fun. And you said something earlier, you know, no one's tombstone is going to say what the score of a certain game was. Sports is supposed to be about having fun for kids. And to me, I don't even think score should be important until you're probably in seventh or eighth grade. Score – I mean, yeah, you're going to keep score and you play a baseball mm-hmm. game. I get that. Mm-hmm. But to me, it should be irrelevant until you're about 13, 14. That's, that to me is when specialization should – you know, if you want to specialize in something, that's the time to start to do it. And I've read a number of articles in the last few months about some of the great athletes of modern time. Roger Federer, he played everything until he was about 14 is when he started playing tennis. Alex Morgan played a bunch of things. At age 14, she started to specialize in soccer. Lorenzo Cain, the, mm-hmm. one of the Royals' heroes in the, there in the World Series, didn't even play baseball until he was 14. So I think a lot of these parents – who think I've got to get my kid involved at seven and eight, and we've got to go to all these clinics and train year round, and it's just going to be this one sport. You know, the kids are going to do what the parents say, and of course the kids will be excited. But after a while, there's going to be that loss of interest. There's going to be that burnout factor. What, what's your opinion on that? I I totally agree that I think kids should be playing as many different sports as they can as they want to. Uh, I think specialization needs to be ratcheted back as far as we can take it. I mean, I, the 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 opportunity for, like you say, for a Lorenzo Cain that didn't even, you know, uh, start till he was 14 years old. For crying out loud, let's let's because what what you do in another sport can certainly enhance what you do in every other sport. The skills that you learn, the speed, the strength that you develop, uh, can enhance you uh, 
across the board on all those. So we're, we, while we offer baseball almost year-round at 3-2, and two, we recognize that there needs to be diversification amongst your activities and a bunch of the activities that you're involved in. For those that want to do baseball, we're here for you. Uh, but we certainly would encourage, particularly for those of you that are pitchers, uh, you know, let's 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 lay off in the off season or that last quarter of the year. Uh, let's let's stay out of that and 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 recover so that we're not, as you pointed out earlier about the the, uh, the Tommy John surgeries going on for young kids. We need to we need to cut that down and and diversification would probably help that quite a bit. So sportsmanship, what? Do you guys do to promote it, to teach it? Do you have clinics for people to come? Uh, if if you do, who comes to them? Do you require it? What's what's your whole philosophy on all that? Yeah, we do. Uh, we do emphasize sportsmanship heavily at three and two from all of our preseason meetings with our coaches. Uh, we even uh, have an annual sportsmanship awards banquet where uh, we honor uh, five or six teams at each of the. Uh, each, each of the grade levels, uh, all the way through, with a with a banquet and a large traveling trophy uh, with their name on it. It is a it is the biggest award of the year, and we're not inviting the guys to that banquet who won their league. We're not inviting the guys that won X, Y, or Z tournament uh, to that banquet. We're recognizing and appreciating the people that are uh, doing it right, from the coaches to the players to the parents. All is a, all in a package that recognize the importance of sportsmanship and are exuding that and are being an example to everybody else in our league. Well, that's awesome, Jeff. That's awesome. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who appreciate that. Absolutely, there are. Do you feel we need to have mandatory sportsmanship seminars for coaches and or parents? I know most I, – I, I have always emphasized for a coach to have a, a preseason meeting that's a requirement for parents to attend, at least one parent. You know, mm-hmm. Obviously, it would be great if both came. But have a preseason meeting – where you discuss the season, you discuss your goals, you discuss you know practice times, practice requirements, who plays, who doesn't. That way, you give parents an opportunity to to, to ask whatever question they want and get get an understanding. You know, can I talk to you after a game? No, or when can I talk to you? What's the best way to approach it? All those types of things. Do you see that as something that? A lot of coaches do, or do you see a lot of them maybe blowing that off and say, I don't need to do that? I think most coaches do exactly that, and we, we emphasize that in our preseason meetings, that, a, that communication is key to a successful season. And I'm not talking about your wins and your losses. I'm talking about having a good team camaraderie. Uh, and it's uh, it's really rewarding these days when you hear guys that are, that are in the 13-14s or even the high schools where they've been together with a team now they've held their team together for all of those years and you know people are going to move in and move out but they've been able to hold their group together for so long that is a really a rich rich uh experience for all of those families as it relates to uh, a sportsmanship training program making it mandatory i'd like to be able to do that but making things mandatory oftentimes doesn't work the uh well that's the, why i asked the, because yeah, i figured you'd probably say something like yeah that. the uh the uh, the guys that are going to go to that or the people that go to those kinds of meetings. Let me guess. Are, they're the ones that need to be there, and the ones that need to be there, they will not show up at all even if you paid them. Yeah, the, the, ones, that, the ones that need to be there are not the ones that need it. Um, so so, what do we, so, so yeah. I guess as we wrap things up here, what do we do about that? Because those are the guys, or men and women, who – I mean, there's there are some wacky moms out there. You and I both know that just as much as there are some wacky guys. And so what do we do about those people? I mean, do you think you have the program in place to do with that that's, that's best, or do you think there's something you could change in terms of that? 
We've actually started to work in that. We've got a sportsmanship committee uh, and have for decades at three and two that that observe and 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 help fill in when we get a guy that that gets off the rails a little bit. We have the we call him up. We have a meeting with him and say, hey, you know, we can be a good example here and and lay out some of those ideas or ideals for uh, for their team to follow. Um, you know, I think. I think sometimes that you've got you've got to get to the bottom before you can come back up again too in in uh, in this. And when people have hit bottom with their sportsmanship, I think they've seen that things can be taken away from. They're no longer allowed to come to the park. They're no longer going to be able to watch their kids play. And with those kinds of things in front of them, uh, maybe they can turn things around and 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 improve. Can you share as we wrap things up here today? Can you share a story with us of maybe some somebody, a mom or dad, who? was abusive, was verbally abusive, maybe went over the edge and then realized that down the road, you know, you maybe said you can't come back and maybe they, they did make some changes and they were able to correct things? Uh, I've got one guy that comes to mind uh, probably 15, 20 years ago that uh, was constantly complaining about a lot of things and he, was, he would constantly ride the umpires and constantly complain about this, that or the other. Was a great guy off the field, but once you got him onto the field, his intensity level just went through the roof and whatnot. And it was one of the. It was one day when I, uh, he called in and wanted to talk about something and, and complain about something, and I just kind of stopped him in midstream and said, "Hey, you know, quite frankly, people think that you are a certain way." And I used a, a disparaging name, and he was silent for a little Thanks bit. Thanks for not sharing it. Today. Yes, sir. He was silent for a little bit, and he kind of took a deep breath. and says, "Wow, that's that's really hard to hear." Maybe but a but thank humbling for uh, very humbling. But thank you for saying that because I can't see myself. I'm not. I'm not doing this in front of a mirror. And it takes all of us to come around and make sure that we're all towing the line and and um, and, and and raising the bar on what the expectations are. Do you think you guys can invest in Tootsie Pops? I think I, I've shared this forever on this show. I tell parent or coaches. Come to a game, bring a bag of lollipops or touchy pops, and hand them out to the parents and say, "Suck on this." Uh huh. And, and <laughs> it works. It yeah. works. What do you think about that? I think that's a terrific. I think I might go grab some on the way home and do it. Do it tomorrow night. You know, I mean, you've probably got a team tomorrow night. I'm guessing you might be thinking about that, maybe a little out of control once in a while. So that'd be a perfect situation to go up to the parents more so than the right coach. on. I think when we start start to see some wild things like that, that would be a that'd be a fun way to introduce some calm and. And uh, maybe some perspective uh, Jeff, to that group. Jeff Chalk, I want to thank you so much for coming in today. This has been a, a fascinating interview. If people want to reach you, how can they get a hold of you? We're available at uh, 3 and 2 Baseball at 3 and 2 Baseball.com or call us at the office, 913-888-8055. Thank you so much for coming in. This has been a great, great interview, great uh, discussion today. And I want to thank you and come back again. Thanks, Dr. Jacobs. Glad to be here. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. You can reach me several ways. You can follow me on Twitter at, at DRJ Sports Psych. Get a hold of me at my website, which is uh, Winners Unlimited. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Call me at my office at 816-561-5556. Our shows are podcasted here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Go to the podcast page, click on additional programming, and you'll find it. And you can also listen to them on my website. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? 
than the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 Minutes to Success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 Minutes to Success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station.